episode 26, Will O'Connor. Welcome to the Oxidative Potential Podcast, where we discuss all things sports science and performance. I'm your host, Matthew DeRoche, and with me is my fellow co-host, Phil Batterson. Enjoy. Good day, folks. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. Will O'Connor, PhD. Now, in this episode, Will and I discuss um, a recent paper that Will and his group had just recently published, and this turned into be a great chat, um, not even about just carbohydrate restriction, but we talked about other kind of things in the end um, surrounding different types of stressors and, and training and whatnot. But um, I really enjoyed this conversation because um, in talking to Will, I could see that he, he didn't really have a side for carbohydrate restriction. Like, um, you know, he wasn't a zealot pushing carbohydrate restriction and, and saying it's applicable for everyone. Um, and also he was very open and, and, and quite objective and, and stating like, you know, carbs is the way for performance, no doubt. Um, but also we shouldn't just because carbs are the way for performance, it doesn't mean that we should not try and investigate what are the the underlying mechanisms taking place when we're restricting carbohydrates? Um, is there a way to modify that to make anything uh, maybe beneficial for an individual, whether it's a recreational athlete or maybe a professional athlete? What what is to be gained there? Um, so I really enjoyed uh, you know talking to someone that wasn't you know kind of on really pushing either side. Um, you know, will discussed many times where he's like, you know, this is just, you know, this is the case as out as carbs are the way for this, you know, scenario, whatever. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And I, I that's one of the reasons why is because I don't lie on either side of the table when it comes to carbohydrate restriction. I understand it as a stressor. Um, you know, I've done ketogenic diets, I've done low carb diets, I've done high carb diets, I've done everything in between. I see everything as just kind of a modality and try to understand to the best of my ability, what are the, um, you know, gaps that are going to need it to be filled. Like I discussed briefly in this episode with carbohydrate restriction, what's going on with bone metabolism, bone resorption, bone growth, um, certain markers like CTX and osteocalcin and whatnot, and the implications for bone mineral density loss. Um, so, I mean, that's the thing is like when we're talking about things, I think we should try and investigate um, these things to the utmost degree and try to understand them to the best of our ability so we can inform ourselves why it may or may not be appropriate um, for certain individuals or, or yourself. Thinking about what is the person's individual response to that? You know, how does it affect their sleep? How does it affect their, their stress? How does it affect their, their neurochemical balance, whether it's uh, glutamate, GABA, all these different things? There's, um, you know, also things to take in consideration about how are they handling the training volume um, on top of this this other stressor of carbohydrate restriction. So there is a lot of things to take in consideration when talking about carbohydrate restriction. And I think, um, you know, this is kind of a good conversation to, to hear, you know, where are the benefits that we're seeing in the research? Um, are they for recreational athletes? Are they for professional athletes? Um, also, you know, kind of what are the drawbacks of that? Um, so, you know, the whole thing's talking about bone density and these things and, and what you should try to be uh, considerate of when 
or if you were to engage in something like this. Um, and I think realistically, at the end of the day, the more knowledge you have and the more experience you have, um, you know, the kind of wider your, your view tends to get. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, you know, it was, it was great to have Will on and, and, and talk all things carbohydrate restriction and how he's, uh, you know, kind of approached it in the past and where he's at kind of now with it and how he views it now compared to, to before. So um, if you want to find Will, um, I'll leave links to in the show notes. Also, Will has uh, been working on this essentially endurance mentorship program. Like it's a course, it's a long six-month course um, that kind of walks you through and exposes you to, you know, how to think as an individual coaching yourself uh, in the sport, in the sport of, of running. Um, so this, I think, is a super cool concept. Like I've seen it in other fields, but I think it's absolutely genius because I've never seen this really applied to endurance sports. So I'll leave the links to that in the show notes, which Will will keep updated as uh, he makes progression on, on releasing that. Um, also, um, I'll leave the links to his website and his Instagram and all that stuff to find him there. So hope you guys enjoy this episode and, and, <clears throat> and please keep in mind that we're, we're trying to be objective here and, and see both sides of the coin. So don't, um, you know, run away at this podcast and think that, uh, either one of us is, is pushing a low carb or high carb, um, or any type of carb or any type of diet. We're just talking about a subject. So, um, Hopefully you guys enjoy. Thanks. All right, Will. So I reached out to you and um, luckily right at a time where you had something coming out, which you guys um, just recently published a, a paper on, you know, chronic carbohydrate restriction and how that affects endurance capacity in, in men and women, which is, um, you know, this has been a hot topic over the years, obviously, and it's kind of resurfaced. And, you know, there's a lot of different directions that people try to take this in, whether it's, you know, mRNA signaling and mitochondria and like, oh, is there adaptations we can get there? Um, or, you know, overall just substrate utilization, talking about, you know, like what you guys are talking about. But there are some things that you kind of pulled out to in your paper that I thought were kind of unique. Um, so maybe kind of just give us a brief introduction of, you know, how did you get to this point where you're interested in looking at this? Um, you know, where are you now? Um, yeah. So, so I, well, yeah, thanks for reaching out. Um, it was good timing. Uh, so yeah, low carb, right. Ketosis, paleo, like it's, it's gone through its iterations of terminology and it's all mm -hmm. kind of centered around the same thing of carbohydrate restriction mm -hmm. and yeah my journey into low carb starts a while back with tim noakes i'm sure you have you oh, heard yeah. of the south african kind of oh, um yeah. yeah he's got the the book challenging beliefs and it's really his kind of style of uh you know he introduced the that whole drink to thirst uh with uh, waterlogged his book mm -hmm. but anyway at the time so this must have been around 2012 i guess he was very vocal on twitter about this low carbohydrate situation and one of the guys during my honors uh had he was a power lifter and he was doing 
uh, a ketogenic, like a cyclic, mm-hmm. uh, the anabolic diet. Oh, I can't remember who who wrote that, but it was pretty well known, um, circulated like PDF that people were putting around in the like you know strength and conditioning circles. Yeah. And I thought to myself, we're doing. He was studying with me, and I thought that's that's outrageous. You know, I'm I'm doing an I'm an endurance athlete, and fat's bad. It's just not it's not good. You need to eliminate fat from your diet so that you can burn your whatever body fat you have, and then not not generate any more. Yeah. It was kind of uh, despite knowing despite definitely knowing better from my time as a um, like a, doing an undergrad in biochemistry. I guess I just, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't open to the the, the idea that fat could be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he would be, you know, drinking cream and eating cheese. And I was like, you can't, that can't, that just can't be good. It can't be. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, that our teacher who ended up becoming my, my PhD supervisor, he said, why not? And because uh, I said, Steve, can you tell this guy like he can't just drink cream? It's, it's outrageous. And he goes, why not? You know, and then I remember him challenging me on on why, like how fat could be utilized at a at a greater rate, and you could spare carbohydrate and stuff. And I still was like, nah, like, nah, <laughs> right? Like you you just can't. You have to eliminate fat because otherwise you'll store too much of it and you'll gain you gain body fat and that's the last thing I want so I was just so strict at eliminating fat from my diet like I was cutting the fat off bacon I was just carb super carb like you know probably 70 80 percent of my diet was carbohydrate with the rest protein and then obviously I would have had some fat but after that year of my honors I went into doing um trying to be a professional triathlete like um middle you know, like half Ironman kind of stuff. So I moved to Australia with some guys and I I went about overtraining myself. And mm-hmm. part of uh, whatever happened with me metabolically, mm-hmm. hormonally, uh, whether it was diet-based or like the training, uh, the overtraining, I was putting on a lot of body fat, like quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was really, I was just really confused as to how I could train so much, like 30 hours a week. Uh, without having a cast, so I was also commuting everywhere and, and I was still gaining body fat. I was like, this just doesn't make sense. And then so stumbled across Tim Noakes' stuff and I thought, well, I mean, I might as well try it. I mean, scientifically, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I went about restricting carbohydrate from my diet and it was shocking, the change. Like fat was like falling off of my body. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, what is this? How is, how is this working? I can't really comprehend the the rate of change. Um, and then, yeah, that led me into like during that year, I was like, I don't want to be a professional athlete. This is way too much pressure and stress. And I enjoy coaching and researching. So yeah, went into, into doing my, my PhD and I was like, I need to research this topic. This is the topic. There, there just has to be more to this. And I can see some gaps in the mark and in the research. Um, that yeah that I think I could fill and so that's the kind of long-winded story of of where I landed on on wanting to know more about carbohydrate restriction mm-hmm. that's interesting <clears throat> and I think um 
that is a probably an angle a lot of people might see but not have the like it's one of the things i've heard like for example i hear a lot of knocks on some of the studies that have come out previously like what i mean it starts all at the faster study and even starts before that realistically if you look at some of the research done before that but um but realistically these things could probably be investigated fairly easily now obviously when we're talking about diet when we're talking about training these are very hard um you know variables to control tightly but regardless the actual means of getting them done um you know it's 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 relatively easy in terms of research like there's a lot of logistical solving that goes into it but you know, for all the excuses I hear and why, you know, these things don't work, I feel like instead of just blanketly slating something that we don't fully understand yet, we should really just be digging deeper to understand what's going on. Because just there's there's so much going on when you're changing someone's diet. <laughs> it's just, and people want to say, oh, yeah, it's just, just one thing. But um, can you kind of talk about, um, you know, what what was the things in the research that you saw that you felt were missing? Like, what were some of the gaps? Because I feel like, um, you know, I have a few stuck in my head. But what were some of the things that you're like, ah, I don't think that's fully parsed out yet? Or what are what are some of the questions you want to answer? The the big ones were the combination of long term adaptation and an ultra endurance test. Mm -hmm. So what I saw was seven day adaptation cycles, which mm -hmm. isn't an adaptation cycle for any kind of physiological uh, like intervention. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, restricting carbohydrate for seven days and then the test would be like a 20 minute all out time trial or a 5k run, 3000 meter track run. Um, so like these, you know, super, you know, high anaerobic and contribution to performance-based like uh, tests, then um, if they did do a longer-term adaptation, so we're starting to get into 14 days or two weeks or three weeks um, or longer, again, they're doing these, yeah, kind of, they might test metabolically, but they didn't test performance. And if they did, yeah, again, it was... Uh, um, if they tried to do a long-term one, it, it might have been a two-hour fixed intensity ride with a like wind gate or like a one-minute or five-minute all out at the end of that. Mm -hmm. Um and so that was some of this. So I just couldn't see the the ideal scenario of yeah. of saying, look, so what I did with my study, I said, all right, here we go. We've got four weeks of adaptation, both diets, randomized crossover. So you're if I if you came in, I got you, you know, whatever you're either low carb or high carb first, you've got a washout period and then you're high carb, low carb, whatever alternative second. And then you're doing um a performance test that's the work equivalent to a five hour time trial at 55% of your VO2 max. Mm -hmm. So, you know, prior to you coming in, we we tested your VO2 max and whatever 55% of the power was. So if you're on the bike, you know. 55% might've been 150 Watts. So if you rode at 150 Watts for five hours, it would equate to 
let's just say 3,600 kilojoules. Right. So we kind of said on the um, indoor bike, that ergometer, we could measure energy um, output. So we just said, you've got, go, you know, mm. go and um, and do your best to, to uh, yeah, to execute this amount of energy, which is a, it was a pretty much equivalent to a hundred and kind of 60 K 140 kilometer. So about a hundred mile like time trial. Mm -hmm. uh, and during that, I also gave carbohydrate. So as you would in a race, and I also did a carbohydrate loading uh, mm -hmm. protocol. So the day before you had, you had carbohydrates. Mm. On, on both diets so what i wanted to create was yeah the the ideal scenario of what would you do in in the real world what are athletes doing in the real world mm. um and what is going to give us the best information to show that you yeah you are going to perform better or you're not or this diet is going to have um an effect on your performance Mm. Uh, and then alongside the performance measures, we can, you know, we can take blood samples, we can measure our respiratory rate and, uh, the yeah, carbohydrate fat utilization, um, mm. body mass, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so what, what do you think, what do you think in your reading of the research and just being in the field, like, well, gaps? I have, I, I don't, you know, I'm one of those people that I. I have a lot of thoughts on things, but I don't have a lot of opinions um, because I see how much, you know, just like we thought we knew this. Oh, we thought we knew this a bit, whether it's lifting, whether it's running, cycling, anything we thought we understood. And, you know, 20 years later, looking at the research that's coming out now, I see, a, you know, there's some things that are stable, right? We, we know, we know some things fairly well, um, but with carbohydrate, low carbohydrate, there's some things that I, I know that's, you know, solid and what I see out there. Um, but there's a lot that's unknown. And basically, my unknowns are, you know, one, what is, for example, what is the difference between 16 weeks of adaptation and two years of adaptation? You know what I mean? What's what's the difference there? What does that look like? What does that look like in peak power output? What does that look like? in you know, training volume, the ability to tolerate training volume. Um, and for example, uh, like something that you tested in your study, right? Uh, body composition. Um, like you guys use bioelectrical impedance. Um, like there, there's things surrounding bone density that I have a big interest in. Um, you know, I've read some papers from Luis talking about that. Um, with osteocalcin, um, you know, and uh, pro-collagen type 1, terminal propeptide, like the, those markers, um, CDX, like C-terminal telopeptide, some of those markers around bone density, those interest me because I see a lot of people, and you didn't test ketogenic diets. I, we, let's, let's clarify this. For I did in another yeah. study, but yeah. Yeah, this, this study was too grams or less of carbohydrates per kg and for, for yeah, the low per carbohydrate day. per day and the high carbohydrate was five grams per kg um, per day or above for the moderate carbohydrate but you know just like anything for example if, if we're on a specific diet 
and we're changing macronutrients aggressively or dramatically, what are things that would support in that? You know, what what are the what are the effects on the neurotransmitters? What are the effects on you know GABA and 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 these different things? Anyways, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but there's a lot of things I don't know. I still think, like I was talking about this with Mike T. Nelson the other day. I think ultra endurance cycling um, is probably the big application for for some of this low carb, whether it's you know some of these you know, 24 hours, you know, some of these things, even getting into Ironman, there's, there's good territory. And under that, I just don't know. Right. I don't know because there's questions around, I don't know. Have you guys looked into much about, um, you know, periodization about periodization, like, um, carbohydrate like dietary periodization. periodization. Yeah. Carbohydrate, yeah. I yeah. think, and that was, uh, I can't remember if it's in the like key takeaways or reckon practical applications of this paper but yeah that's that's it um i think that's one of the big applications of uh low carb and there's mm. i was listening to a podcast with one of the head scientists of one of the sports scientists of one of the pro cycling teams and uh this is a few years back and he was saying yeah we uh ketosis ketogenic like exogenous ketone supplements um mm. these are all tools we can use in our our toolbox yeah and i i think that's that's what the research is showing where like it's what i showed especially in the men where you can you're not decreasing performance that was the main yeah. takeaway of my study like no one decreased performance yeah. no one um and women in particular improved significantly men stayed very similar uh and we as normal you have responders and non-responders and my sample size was 13 so five women uh eight men not huge but you're not going to get huge and and yeah. someone's going to fund it massively uh yeah. it's still a massive undertaking to have you know 13 people through eight weeks of controlled diet plus yeah. pre and post testing yeah. and, and all of the logistics that go around that controlled training um but if there's a if there's a difference to be seen, you'd see it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's what we're trying to find, um, and we didn't see it either way. So we're not seeing that uh, a low carbohydrate diet is drastically reducing your performance, and we're not really seeing that anywhere across the board. Like if you were a fifteen hundred meter runner, you got to do a lot of yeah, very high, highly anaerobic, like session, like speed work and yeah. um, like the, the nature of the muscular contractions that you're doing do require a lot of metabolic power. Just through the nature of not having carbohydrate present, you're going to downregulate a lot of those factors like yeah. in glycolysis just through self-preservation. Yeah. So why would you, why would you try and, reduce carbohydrate but then if you're coming off of your season and you're entering into your your base phase you're rebuilding mm. um you know some of these athletes might have a, a domestic season that they might do some road racing or cross countries over 10 kilometers six miles or so so yeah they might want to get their weight back under control their their body composition so they can use a, a low carbohydrate approach to 
to implement that. But in season, it's ridiculous. There's no way. Um, mm. But I think like what I've seen over the years is kind of this, uh, it's like a, a, a merger of the two fields of mm -hmm. um, or like polarized opinions of like, you have to be high carb. Like some of these like 10 grams, 11 grams kg per day, like it's like, yeah. holy moly, I tried that. I've tried those like loading protocols and they're aggressive. You feel bloated and yeah. store a lot of water. Um, yeah. You got to do them properly. And then to the extent where, yeah, I've, I, I like when I was getting super into like ketosis, having a fear of carbohydrate, mm -hmm. right? And then like trying to yeah, be super restrictive and thinking that any carbohydrate was going to, you know, make me fat or like knock me out of ketosis and have all these issues yeah. and uh, it'll ruin my metabolic flexibility. And now like I seem to ride in possibly, probably still more to the low, lower carb side, but um, definitely don't have that, that fear of carbohydrate and and the science is unequivocal that carbohydrates are necessary for optimal performance yeah right like you just you can't ignore that like you need carbohydrate if you want to perform optimally because you can't just rely on one fuel source like it'd yeah. be like running your car without oil unless you have yeah. an electric car i guess but like yeah you can have yeah. you can have um you know your unleaded fuel or diesel or whatever, but if you're not putting oil, isn't it? The whole the whole system's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so. No, I'm glad you you went through that because as soon as you start talking about carbohydrate restriction research, I feel like a lot of people just automatically turn a switch on in their head and they're like, "Oh, this guy's a low carber," right? Like, <laughs> but if you actually listen to what a lot of low carb people are saying. It's not anything crazy. Like there is some people, right? There's like, there's people totally. on both sides, yeah, yeah. but a lot of people are just saying, Hey, it's, it's the same. If we were to talk about like heat training, imagine if we'd just discovered heat training and now people are like, Oh, heat training every day, all day. It's going to make you better. <laughs> right. This is how I look at things. And like, people be like, Oh, you're an idiot. If you think you're going to get better you know, it's training in the blistering, sweltering heat every day. And you're like, no, look at these adaptations, the signaling, look at all this. And it's like, you know, you get the extremes rather than saying, oh, it's a tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. Um, and, you know, that's what I see a lot of people. I don't see a lot of, you know, well-educated people out there really saying like, hey, you need like, this is on race day. You got to be slamming back fat bombs and, you know, Unless it's yeah, uh, like yeah. ultra marathoners or something for GI distress, maybe they're staying steering away from carbs or something. But um, yeah, I just I I think there's some reasonable ground here. Um, so like even in your study, you guys really promoted the ideas like, hey, there's definitely what we're seeing is somewhat of a sex variance here between metabolic flexibility, right between male and females. Um, it seems that females have a little bit of a more narrow range and, and, you know, showing by their RER values and, and stuff like that saying, Hey, they're a little bit less metabolically flexible here. So what kind of implications does that have for what we're, what we're talking about as using this as a tool, that's the type of stuff. Like if we didn't, you know, if we don't research this stuff, you know, it's going to be hard to understand how to apply 
any tools in the future, regardless if we're talking about just carbohydrate restriction. Anyways, um, so realistically, like in, in your study, what what you guys found is, you know, there was body composition, um, recomposition for for men on both diets, right? On on moderate yeah. and and low carb, and for the females, you found that the low carbohydrate seemed to um, cause recomposition, um, essentially losing fat mass and higher carbohydrate had increased fat mass. Um, but what are some of the other things that you found in there that were kind of unique? I mean, like, Hey, this is, this has really informed me on like how I'm, I'm going to, you know, investigate this in the future or think about this in the future. What were some other things that you, uh, one of the five women actually liked the diet and part of that uh, reduction in uh, body fat mass or improvement in body composition could be attributed to a reduction in like overall caloric intake Mm -hmm. Uh, because yeah, was there any men who didn't like it? I can't remember off the top of my head, but the men were into it you know bacon eggs like let's go like yeah, cream and yeah. my oats it's like we're, yeah. we're all good here and then the woman for whatever reason it just did not that fatty based diet it, it didn't it didn't agree with with the woman of my study uh mm-hmm. so yeah w- what's causing that like is that a a, a nature or nurture thing like is mm-hmm. that innate that there's something that doesn't agree with them to, to match their whatever genetic profile, metabolic profile. Mm-hmm. But um, so that was a big one, really, that the the woman, despite like significantly improving their performance, always like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. There's, mm-hmm. there's no, like, it's just, it was, uh, it wasn't very pleasant for four weeks. Uh, whereas, and this is something we kind of, we picked up a lot during in, in our lab. We had a, a number of PhD students at the same time. Um, and there's all these different things like uh, uh, polyphenols and nitrites, like that supplementation. We are like, oh, yes, there's potentially an improvement in performance here, but mm-hmm. it's such a rigmarole. I could sleep better the night before the event. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many, there's so many things how how aggressive do we want to go with some of the stuff where um yeah to chase 10 watts for for the majority of people like is it is it really going to be if you're not enjoying it you know if it is if it is a challenge to you uh to to try and implement whatever things you've the science has brought up and you've read about um but yeah with the so then yeah with that metabolic flexibility that was something that we noticed with the with the woman was there's a potential that they they don't have the large bandwidth that males do to either burn fat or carbohydrate at the peak rates. So mm-hmm. their peak rates are uh, I can't remember five yeah um, point like I can't yeah half a gram less per hour or a gram. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head but they didn't have those capacities where you can like when i'm talking metabolic flexibility i'm saying yeah matt would like bring you in i'm going to eliminate carbohydrate from your diet and you're like i'm all good here you know i can't obviously i can't do a, a 
two minute, you know, peak output. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, you probably could, but you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe not. So, uh, so that's, that's just like, that's science that's metabolic capacity. Yeah. But then, uh, similarly, I could feed you carbohydrates, load you up. And, and again, you're all good for everything. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're metabolically inflexible, which is tendency for most endurance athletes, which is my main focus, you remove carbohydrate from their diet and that performance is down 40%. Yeah. Right? And that's just on, on like a one hour aerobic general run, ride, swim, whatever there. They have no flexibility to be able to utilize fat as a fuel. Yeah. And so the 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 capacity to improve their their signaling, you know, beta oxidation pathways, the the whole like um the that whole AMPK, the whole process, the whole metabolic process is massive. Yeah. But is that going to improve your performance? Probably not, because for my cohort anyway, highly trained endurance athletes, you have already kind of elicited the the optimal, not necessarily optimal metabolic flexibility, but the metabolic flexibility and metabolic uh, capacity that is good enough for what you do. So just through the nature of being a a highly trained athlete, you you go out and you do a ride without breakfast. You do a fasted training session just because it happens on on times. You go out and you do, um, if you're doing a three-hour ride, you're doing a, a, a run of 20 kilometers or two hours or something, you you run out of food you forget and and so by the nature of that you're enforcing like these these increased uh fat like utilization and increasing the pathway and the stimulus and the um subsequent recovery from those sessions and so while you haven't specifically implemented a protocol or strategy to try and improve your metabolic flexibility just through the nature of training week in week out like it happens yeah. And it happens to a state that's good enough for you to be able to perform. While, but the caveat of that is you cannot miss a beat with your carbohydrate supplementation yes. because your reliance is so much greater than someone who is, is utilizing fat 30% more than you are. So while you're able to meet your, your energetic requirements for a three-hour run, five-hour ride, 10-hour ultramarathon, by not supplementing with carbohydrate, you're running the risk that your performance will have to decrease when that, if blood sugar does drop or there becomes a competing metabolic environment between the brain and the, and the body or the extremities or, or the muscles. So, yeah, there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. Like even when talking about, you know, yeah, the female really enjoyed the diet and, and just talking about, you know, the nature and nurture around fat genetics. One thing is, you know, how, how, how does a person perceive, you know, this thing is going to be intervening with them. And also, you know, when we're talking about recreational athletes, there, there has been some literature to show like, Hey, this is, this can be actually quite beneficial for recreational athletes or low level, um, you know, age groupers kind of thing, right? Um, Improving their ability to utilize fat is, and it's a bigger part of the factor um, for people in the beginning um, for performance, right? Because that profile hasn't really developed well yet. 
Um, yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. And this is, yeah. we found this a lot through, through a lot of different research, research um, projects is like the further down that training spectrum you are, or yeah. say even that VO2 max scale, the greater a lot of these um, these um, interventions are going to have, like the nitrites, polyphenols, yeah. like um, strength training plyometrics. Yeah. Like, so what is that? Is that um, an elite athlete has already self-selected themselves to to the ideal kind of training style, and and then you implement plyometrics, and it's like, well, I'm already tendon stiffness is good enough, yeah. and and all of that to to get, and so I'm not. I'm already up here, you know, um, and I got here through whatever means. And then, but you get someone earlier on in the spectrum and you go plyometrics and you're like, whoa, you know, I hadn't even established my full, uh, you know, full potential of, of training, let alone like trialing the, um, you know, the trial and error that goes with these different styles. Like, um, yeah, I've trained for the last decade quite, intensively i guess for endurance sports and i've tried so many things and each of them has worked and not worked at different yeah. times you know like just really really intense high intensity training low low volume like high quality and then it doesn't work yeah. <laughs> and then you know and that's the whole that's going back to your like question or statement about periodization yeah. and, and why that's so important i'm sure you've you've had similar experiences over your yeah you know, yeah because i i think most people when they start low carb they go all in right they they what it's, the, they it's the nature of the people probably listening right now it like, is you're like yeah don't don't half-ass it like i don't even yeah. want to hear that there's like two sides to the story like just tell yeah. me <laughs> yeah, like yeah i'm hunting for this info to as like a confirmation bias that i need to do this yeah, that I I can eat steak for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, and you you real it's just like you're saying like you re, there's nothing that when you push to extremes like whether let's say, let's talk about like strength training for performance right like there's echoes of what you said there like for example like they some crazy NBA basketball player comes into the strength room and this strength and conditioning coach thinks like, Oh, I'm going to make him a better athlete by getting him to squat 400 pounds. Like, you know what I mean? Like they have this idea that they think that their intervention is going to make a huge change. And it's like, they're really maxed out at where they're at already. So like anything you do, if anything happens, a lot of times you can just break people. Um, so for people to understand, like when we're talking about improving performance, well, if we look at kind of the, like we're talking about the lower spectrum, um, you have to take in what we're seeing there. And when talking about periodization, one of the things I've found is, like you said, yeah, you miss a fueling station, you, you know, you miss an aid station, or, you know, you get a little bit off route or whatever it is, a, a, a leg takes you a little bit too long. We've all been there something happens. Um, and not only that, just your resilience to stress, you go out for a training run, um, you get lost, whatever it is, or you go out for too long, yep. you're with your friends, you burn through a little bit too quick. One thing I do notice is people that are too far on the side of being high carb. Obviously, their metabolic flexibility is, is, is lower. And, and one thing I see is they're almost it's almost like they're less resilient. Like I, cause I felt that I'm talking from personal experience too. And I've seen it, you know, in other people as well, where it's like, 
this insulin management, these insulin excursions, and you're like trying to stay on top of it. You're trying to stay because when you go high carb, that's the game. Um, and you have to be on point. And, you know, something that me and, and Mike were talking about, you know, was, you know, we're talking about a whole bunch of things, physiological flexibility and metabolic flexibility. But part of that is being, you know, putting your body under stress in, in different ways. And when you're restricting carbohydrates, we know that that is a different form of stress. And you're not going to do that at a time where you've already had a huge stress load. But when you're putting on that stress, there's generally going to be some type of positive adaptation to be yielded if you're not already maxed out, right? I don't know. How do you look yeah, at it? Yeah, and if you're recovering. <laughs> yeah, and you're recovering, right? Like you're not overtrained, you're not overloaded, you're being appropriate with the stimulus. That's all I look at it is. It's no different than, than going in a sauna, no different than going in an ice bath, no different than it's just another type of stimulus and it's going to provide something different if you're not maxed out. Um, how do you look at it? Like how, how do you, how do you kind of view the whole periodization landscape? Cause that's something I'm interested in hearing is like, you know, cause we talk about, you know, periodization in the week, periodization in the training program, um, periodization from just, you know, the last cycle before the race and then the race, your high carb, right? Like, how do you look at some of these different periodization schemes? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Or do you mean in relation to diet or? Yeah, diet. Like a, a yeah, low carb. And- yeah. Um, yeah. We definitely have the the athletes that respond better to the the diet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it a response or is it a uh, a, a mental openness to mm-hmm. to live a certain way? Because like you get those people it's a lifestyle it's not a diet don't call it a diet no. well it's yeah it, it is kind of both it's mm-hmm. definitely a diet because you're restricting the food that you eat in a certain way uh but it's just not going to work for some people yeah. as well so there's no for sure. point forcing that and then the other people uh where someone like myself i'm I, i'm going to be pretty intense okay some mm-hmm. of the listeners are going to go all in yeah. So you really need to cyclic the control the the periodization of the diet coming into so yeah base base fat aerobic dominant phase um, so if we let's say it's a it's a marathoner um, it's half Ironman Ironman uh, ultra marathon you know these these yeah. sports that are going to typically take people over three hours yeah. uh, and for that, the intense, relative intensity is, is low, especially if you're taking over three hours for a marathon, then you're probably operating 80, 85% VO2 max, uh, which in the scheme of things is right around um, the very upper limit of maximal fat oxidation if you were well adapted. So, yeah. so there's, a, there's a means and, uh, or justification to really force that adaptation mm-hmm. so that you can you know, and improve fat oxidation to the maximal capacity. Um, But yeah, you need to be very consistent with it and you need to not be doing um, short distance or like anything that's going to require you to perform like a lot of really high intensity, uh, like VO2 type, VO2 max 
type mm. training sessions because what I've seen is the the recovery side of things. So whatever is happening in terms of the metabolic stress that's going on to try and operate at these really anaerobic, metabolically anaerobic outputs uh, is is really stressful to recover when you're not also replenishing carbohydrate. And then you're like, oh, well, you could, yeah, weekly periodize your your carbohydrates to to go in line with your hardest sessions, but it, it starts to become intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like it starts to become more of a, a um, uh, like programming conundrum and headache than the actual training itself. And so now for, for the majority of people I work with that, that busy professional, like working professionals, not professional athletes, they don't have the energy and the time to, to try and implement all that stuff. So it's easier to say, look, during this base phase, this like we're maintenance recovery from a big race coming into a big season. I want you like super hard on your restriction. Okay. So mm-hmm. two grams is per kg per day is your upper limit. Let's really push it down as far as possible. Then we can roll into the next phase, which may include some like B races, C races. Um, and what we'll do is we might cyclic the, the diet. So the weekends, yeah, Friday through Sunday, go go hard. Mm-hmm. Monday through um, Friday, you're you don't have the time to do two, three hour big sessions. You're doing 45, 60 minute sessions and you're going to have enough carbohydrates through that and maybe just make sure you have some post. Mm. Uh, but you're not, you're not training twice a day for an hour and a half, two hours. So, mm. so your actual energy, energetic output is, is quite, is relatively low when you're comparing yourself to someone who's training 30 hours a week and actually having four grams per kg per day could actually be low carb and just could yeah. still implement like a similar adaptation. And yeah, then, then who are you working with? If they're traveling a lot, like if you've traveled and trying to do low carb, it's, it's a headache, man. Yeah. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? No, it is. It just gives people a look of what you're, you're talking about. And you did, you know, preface like, Hey, this doesn't work for everyone. Um, it's the same thing with high altitude. You want There's non-responders to altitude, right? Depending Definitely. on genetics. Yeah. Right. And, and, and people would say, you're crazy to go and suffer up there, non-respond. Like, yeah, well, it's still being um, advised out there to improve performance. People don't shit on people that are altitude junkies, right? Um, <laughs> so it's just understanding the application of who's in front of you. Um, you know, what does their profile look like? What can they benefit? What are the demands of what they're doing? And, you know, when we're talking about these ultra distances, I've seen some case studies. I've seen lots of stuff to show like, you know, steadier pace, steadier, um, you know, obviously glucose control, these things. Um, I I definitely see it. And not only talking about just shorter, you know, three hour, I'm talking about like even ultra marathon distance. When you're talking about GI distress, what is one of the number one causes of, of, you know, dropout for, for ultra marathons? It's GI distress, right? You, I'll never forget. Yeah, there's a, there's a research came out in 2018 maybe or more recently uh, mm. that had that as the like, yeah, I, I I don't think it was for 100 kilometer. I think 100 mile was yeah. was where GI was like the biggest limiter of performance. And it's huge, right? Uh, and just shifting yeah. people a little bit back even slightly, like 
anything we can get and that this is good i'm i'm glad to um you know hear a little bit of a voice of reason here um and it's so yeah and as you because the the majority of people in a 100 mile ultra marathon aren't the top of the field exactly like just through the nature of the sport it doesn't attract a huge number of uh uh top competitors yeah and so yeah the the percentage of vo2 max like the relative intensity you're operating at is so low it's like you just need to find a nutritional strategy that like uh as has the lowest gi disturbance possible yeah um and because as long as you can maintain blood sugar like blood glucose levels you're going to be okay yeah like yeah you you'll find what works for you as most people do when they're out on the trails or out on the roads or on the athletics track whatever kind of ultra you're doing for hours you you'll know you know potatoes work or chips at this time but my always my biggest recommendation is to never overload on any one thing because that's you're already at a risk but yeah yeah, when you're when you're trucking along at 50 percent vo2 max like you there's theoretically right there is you could not eat for for the entire duration you could just drink uh maintain hydration status and and you'll you would be fine would you perform optimally Uh, i don't know um and so uh yeah, there's these really cool studies when I was doing my research, which I was looking into, and they like they had glucose clamps, so ultra intravenous glucose clamps, so okay. intravenously feeding glucose to maintain um, like uh, euglycemia. That's it, right? Yeah. Where it's just maintains um, blood glucose to to an optimal standard between mm. four to six millimole, and uh, and the the performance still declined at or fatigue and set at the same period i think they were, they were testing around it must have been 65 70 percent i remember the this is all off the top of my head but they're all around uh three hour like fixed time you know do yeah. as much power as you can or if it was just um time to exhaustion at 70 percent so anyway there's there's no difference it's really interesting and i thought like so then that adds in that psychological component of you know, like yeah. the the mouth rinse. So yeah, yeah, the uh, rinse, I was yeah. involved in some heat based mouth rinse stuff, and it, yeah, like you get a big psychological boost, like a of or you know dopamine or whatever kind of euphoric stimulant is being released just by swirling uh, fructose or sugar sweetener. And mm. I think we actually had artificial sweetener. Um, in your mouth and then spitting it out so you're not even digesting any of it but you can they've shown like that improves performance so yeah like yeah. eating would definitely help just through that right just, there's so just much through the psychology to that. of it like when i think of um well i'm actually going to have mike mcknight on at some point i was in contact with him and he's done a couple hundred milers um completely fasted um and and they were under 20 hours i'm not sure on on the terrain i will get into that with them um 
But I mean, like he just anecdotally, he talked about his recovery was obviously the best. And obviously, I think Mike said this too, is like he's not running the paces he would be running while he's fed, but he hasn't really tested the limit of that yet. I, I don't think from what I've heard anyways. So I will be interested to 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 dig into that with him to to hear all about his experiences and how he approached that and what was his reasoning behind some of the paces he was doing and and all those things but it's just it just goes to show like you know there's a obviously there's there's a wide range of of possibilities for all this stuff so i'm i'm really interested to see where it goes in the future um because i i, I just think there's so much left to be explored here and and to to kind of negate some of the stuff that we're hearing out there whether because we know now with oh electrolytes is actually important when you're um you know when you're first coming on to some of these low carbohydrate diets and, and and the amount of water you're shedding and um just little things as people go along to to try and f- play with them and you learn about your body you learn about the process of what's going on um one of the things I will be interested to to see is um you know down the road what what are the kind of things that we're going to see with other portions because right now we're kind of stuck in this low carb right high carb right and and um low fat and high fat but where are the what are the other things about to shift the metabolic flexibility that we're not really taking into consideration right like what about fasting what about some of these other triggers of you know loading some of these macronutrients at different times of the day because think about when we load carbohydrates at night only like we go out and engage in a full day of training carbohydrate restriction essentially and then you periodize and put carbs back into your body we still don't really fully know what's going on there yet. Like we, we understand there's actually some different signaling going on and it seems to work similar to low carbohydrate, but not as extreme. Um, but just manipulating certain variables like that, I think even for body composition, all these things, I think we know some of that already. Um, but there's, uh, there's just so many possibilities. What are some of the things that you're interested to see in the future even just around diet, it doesn't even have to be about around low carb. It can be, um, but what are some some of the things that you're interested in investigating in this kind of area? Well, probably the what you mentioned about the like carbohydrate timing mm-hmm. uh, around there. There's many ways to to skin a cat, you know, mm-hmm. and so fasting is definitely one that's going to elicit like a really, I guess we can call it a positive metabolic adaptation um, and faster training. But then there's the the implications that come with that, with recovery. And yeah, the genetic side of things would be super interesting if you had, if there was a genetic profile that did match a particular diet, which like evolutionarily would make sense just from where we established like, um and and that would based off of where where we evolved or your particular ancestors evolved from uh and the diet that they were exposed to um so i mean that's where the whole world's going in terms of research and and associating 
um, coding or undecoding the genetics and trying to associate that with particular kind of uh, lifestyles. Uh, yeah, I think finding that that kind of sweet spot where we could easily get a similar adaptation mm -hmm. to increase metabolic flexibility. Because yeah. uh, there's one guy I was training with, you know, he was, so what would he do? He would, he would eat within two hours. Uh, sorry, he would only eat within a two hour window every day. Mm -hmm. I think it was like 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Yeah. Um, and we were all like, you're nuts. And he's like, no, I've, I've, I've read it. I've read up. And he just, yeah, had, he just kept get, getting better. All right. Mm -hmm. And, and you're like, okay, so how could that work? Oh, yeah, I could kind of see how that would work, but, but could you do it better? Yeah. Right. And, and are we, yeah, are we already at, better with what we've kind of um you know science always follows kind of anecdotal implementation like coaching strategies and, and stuff that we we've seen and tried in the field yeah. and yeah i think the individual nature of diet and also training and that needs to be researched more yeah. which is the hardest thing like we can you know like my study we can do these things and go look, it's, it's worth trialing like a low carbohydrate diet. Here you go. Set yourself a two gram per kg per day restrictive limit. Try and get as far below that as you can and, and see how that works for you. Because on average, it's not going to reduce your performance as so well worth doing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so a lot of that, but then, you know, some of the stuff you were saying before, I'm thinking like, if we have our kind of conspiracy hat on, like who makes money off of fasting? Yeah. But who no, makes money off of figuring out 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour during an endurance event is is highly um like probable to Im improve performance uh, capacity that we never thought we thought 90 grams is the, the uppermost. And now it's like, oh whatever, you can train yourself to go far beyond that everything carbohydrate based someone has to you have to buy those carbohydrates mm. from somewhere from a source anything low carbohydrate based well no one's really making money really in the in the in our world of like exercise performance um mm. sport and exercise science so i think that has a big factor as to what research is going to get funded mm. uh versus what m might be more beneficial to the whole body of research um and mm. and the the lens at which people look through things um mm. yeah it's all it's a hard one you know because yeah. it's so restrictive like my study is so restrictive in what i'm able to do and then what i'm able to report versus you know what you can anecdotally see with everyone um, but then if you just report anecdotal reports, there's such big holes in them that people should really take them with big, thick grains of salt. Um, but they are the people who, who are probably going to speak the loudest and yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's tough. Like this podcast is a great way to get podcasters in general, really good ways to get the conversation going for people to try and, you know, decipher what's going to work for them. Yeah. Yeah, and it just 
gives people a little bit of a long because i mean i hear a lot of these arguments going on i I can't even go on twitter it's it gives me anxiety i i don't i don't post i don't have any followers on there i just go on and glance every once in a while and it like gives me it makes me i I just stopped i just while i was like yeah it was just too too much too hard it's too hard it's the worst way to try and really like and that's what the world is like what the world is lacking in everything right now is pretty much it's nuance and that's about the worst way to go about nuance is 140 I think characters that with with podcasts you i think you get a lot of it yeah you get a lot of nuance and if you go uh if you follow a particular person me or like um you know phil maffetone you know with his heart rate based training and you know when when you're trying to sell something you got you kind of got to set hard and fast limits on it like yeah. um just i was talking to someone about phil maffetone's heart rate training so this is front of my mind you know so he said 150 or 180 minus your age plus or minus five depending on it's kind of the basis of his stuff but then you talk to him obviously like there's such a greater uh like yeah. broader spectrum of like training and training zones yeah training he understands vt1 he understands different things other than heart rate people think yeah yeah just like and totally like, and yeah but as as the broad like as the basis he's going to sell that one thing that is going to work and at the start for yeah. like 90 percent of the people and for his audience and then if you would like to know more he's got a book he's yeah. on a lot of podcasts he's written a lot of articles so you can go and and then you can also hear um some of his like um lectures uh, or, or naysayers or you know the yeah, people yeah. who are contra- okay. not contradicting yeah. but like you know yeah. arguing against some of his things yeah. so you're googling film f-tone high rate training and you'll be like why yeah. phil's training doesn't work no yeah. like, okay i should probably read that as well um but anything on social media is just gonna be ultimately polarizing to it's just where we're at at yeah. the moment <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny when like you talk about, and especially with with any of these things, like, um, you know, even talking about fasting, like, there's a lot of nuance loss with fasting. Um, I started fasting when when I was a teenager, like when I was, I did 21, I, I I've done a 21 day water fast. I've done everything in between that, uh, and I've trained for two years on one meal a day, eating in one hour. I've gone yeah yeah, I've done the 48 you know eating every 48 hours I've done it all and there's a lot of nuance to fasting there's 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 ways that are more appropriate for people there's ways that are less appropriate for people and some people really don't need to do it you know like what are you trying to gain out of it do you live a healthy lifestyle do you get you know a lot of activity low level activity are you gardening or whatever it is right like it's not really always a string that people need to pull but it's like what's being broadcasted out there is like it's either you fast every day or you do you know what i mean um or whatever it is it's like i've I've done the vegan the carnivore and it's when you get into those camps you know people are so they really do themselves a disservice um but yeah it's good to hear like you know you kind of talk on these things in a way where you're like yeah there's there's applicabilities here um what are what are the some of the things that you're outside of this what are some of the things that you're interested to see or what are some some of the stuff that you're you know kind of excited about right now outside of diet um whether it's training interventions whether it's recovery interventions um you know maybe some stuff that you're currently investigating 
What are some of the things out there that you, you've taken an interest to as of late? Uh, what have I taken an interest in? Uh, heat, definitely. I think there's a um, monitoring heat, so core. Did you you had the core, core guys sensor. on or you spoke? No, I didn't. With, no, but I have core um, sensor. Yeah, I I, I know. Oh, you've got a yeah yeah yeah. Um. So yeah, you know, I fully yeah I don't fully understand the capabilities of those kind of devices. So this is one that kind of indirectly measures or estimates, I guess, your your core temperature by measuring. Um, heat flux on skin surface and yeah it's alongside with like running power um, and these new these new devices um, like the the, uh, NERS devices and the capabilities of our like just wrist-based devices sleep like like how can we package this up into like a really like digestible form that is yeah. going to to help the end user because at the moment you know you get the you get this device you have to have a you know completely external app maybe it works natively with your your head unit or your wrist based device and and still you got to try and like associate that with another third party app so whether that's a running power device or your, your yeah. heart rate or your whoop or your aura ring and um apple fit what like you know yeah. it's yeah it's like what's what do we what do we need to care about some of the stuff like do we um yeah. continuous glucose monitoring uh do we have you know when are we going to get these means of like getting the the continuous lactate monitoring yeah. I think some guys are trying to do that, but it's expensive. You know, all the stuff's quite expensive. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm super interested in and in trying to distill down some of those things that people can, because each of these companies on their own are trying to like make the best product for what they do, which is their job, right? How can yeah. how can you use the core sensor to monitor your your body temperature to best train um heat acclimate like all of these things in this finite you know in this like restrictive box like yeah but how does this associate to whatever other periodization training i'm doing how does this associate with my lactate readings and my my glucose readings and um so i'm really trying to wrap my head around that (laughs) like yeah like what's next you know and um yeah, it's tough because you got to talk to all these companies and you got to try and um, use all the devices and then it changes, right? They're just the firmware updates. and, and <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, So, and what, yeah, and what does it matter? Yeah, what does it mean? And, and what, is it? What, does it, what does it mean? Yeah. yeah, so how do you use your, like, core device? Um, one thing, well, one way I haven't used it, but I think will have potential is for traveling. Um, and, and kind of understanding circadian rhythm, cause you can wear it like 24 hours. Right. And understanding the changes and the diurnal rhythms to, to core temperature, right. Is a good, it's a zeitgeber essentially, right. For understanding where your body is thinking it's at. So understanding when you're kind of fully recovered from travel and jet lag and these things, I think that's a good application will have. 
I mean, obviously the, the main application that I use it for is, is heat uh, adaptation, right? Like understanding how you respond from, you know, this session to this session from heat, how are you responding at the same in the temperature, external temperature in the air? Um, yeah. How does your body change from here to here? Okay. Well, let's test it again and let's intervene with something, right? Whether it's, you know, a couple of heat sessions, whether it's a, you know, a harder session um, and see what does it look like here now? How much did that change? How fast are we responding? And looking at it like, kind of like heart rate, right? Whether you're, you know, when you're playing around with heart rate, you kind of see like, oh, okay, there's this kind of lag here after this type of overreaching and it takes them a bit this long to get back. Yeah, and the yeah. same thing with, with, with core temperature, it's another, it's a, another thermal physiological, like you're just watching how fast it's responding, how well it's peaking, you know? Um, and also when you're looking for stimulus, we know that, you know, we want to get the core temperature to certain 38.5 and above um, if we're looking for those adaptations. So what does that mean when you're running in this type of external temperature? Like how long before you get in there? Um, anyways, there's a million ways to use it, but realistically, um, you know, and you can start to attach it to decoupling, right? Like for yeah. stroke volume. It's a lot, right? Like it's a lot. So that's what I mean. It's, like, don't, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to realistically. And so now I'm overwhelmed and I don't want to buy the bloody thing. You <laughs> yes. Know? Like yes. that, that happens. Yeah. And then, or yeah. like, I'm like, well, I'm going to have to pay you. I just have yeah. to because I don't, right? And so now yeah. you like, it's it, it becomes whereas yeah. It, yeah if you could distill that down and and it's part of your your garmin or yeah. whatever it and so yeah. you can have it there and then you can start to learn about it while it's there and and uh but at the moment yeah there's no like how many books do we have on how to run a marathon yeah. like, and it's all it's all just it's pace based yeah. and some are heart rate based but yeah and we're only just there right even now we still people will still be like oh what heart rate do i need to do for the thing you know <laughs> like well that's that's been around for for like a few decades now yeah, uh, yeah. and so then just try and throw like a, a temperature sensor and <laughs> yeah like, it's, um, it can be overwhelming stuff yeah like that's the thing i don't know i'm sure you probably see this with, with athletes that you work with is like you know certain athletes you have to really just you know you play that stuff in the background but you kind of have to shield them from you know certain things and then you know certain athletes they really do want to understand it almost better than you so you have to kind of do yeah. your due diligence to yeah you know, yeah inform totally. them and like and that's you know that's the hard part is because you know even though we're playing with some of these metrics whether it's lactate whether it's nears whether it's heart rate um there's still a shit ton that we don't really understand like even with heart rate like hrv like we're talking about you know oh, this yeah. dfa alpha one and stuff like this right like but even recovery even going through some of the literature and textbooks it's like i don't what the i have no idea what this even like it's taking me a year to wrap my head around this one word what it means physiologically um <laughs> so i don't know what yeah and then you, and then you're like in the real world you're like yeah. Does this matter? Like, what do you what do you keep who, an eye on? What do you mean? Like, what what are what are some of the things that you like 
for example, what are your kind of go-tos that you use, whether it's with yourself or your athletes? Like maybe it's lactate, maybe it's heart rate, maybe it's near. Yeah. Most recently it's been, it's been lactate. Um, and that's, uh, that's been super interesting. I've been so, I had hectic, hectic last couple of years running like two jobs. Uh, it was, I didn't really have the capacity to, to sit back and do some different things, but yeah, this year I've been training really religiously with lactate and it's, Mm -hmm. it's been super interesting, uh, controlling, controlling intensity of my, um, so I run marathons, ultra marathons, um, yeah, and I had this big injury and so coming back from that and, uh, yeah, like controlling tempo threshold, like LT1, LT2, like kind of mm-hmm. lactate threshold one and two, whatever you want to, whatever. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, I know, I know. a thousand ways to do these kind <laughs> of things. But yeah, and just, uh, yeah, really like looking at that, that has been, um, has been super fun uh, and trying to associate that with, yeah, different performance markers and, yeah. and seeing how that could be used like on some some athletes and yeah the profiles is so individual it's yeah. like but you have to you have to use this stuff yourself to really get that nuance yeah. you know, to know even like when are you sampling are you are you doing a a, a 1k or a one mile like all out effort and then you're like having a break and you're walking over to your bag and taking the sample it's mm-hmm. like well that's yeah. going to be a lot different than me standing there and taking it right after you've done it. Yeah. Um, are you taking it on face value? Are you doing duplicates? Like, you know, yeah. when you start to realize we take ear finger, like um, all, all of the stuff is. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. And like what you're saying, there's really what rings true. And I hope people kind of take this away is like, regardless of what you're using understand the limitations of what you're using and understand how it responds to different variables lactate is one that i'm a big fan of lactate but it's also one of the most finicky like there's you don't get this like continue we don't have a continuous lactate monitor there's um i think it's precision that's coming out with uh the the lactate ketone all in one Anyways, it's it's gonna be a ways away. Anyways, but um, just understanding, you know, what happens when I come in after a really hard session the day before. What what does my lactate look like? Oh, it's it's a little bit high when I start. Or what happens, like you said, when I go to my bag and take it out and like understanding all those things, right? Um, and once you do, you realize like, oh shit, it doesn't um really matter what I'm using to monitor. It's just getting really good with that thing a lot of the times and but lactate if you if you do it right i think is a, it's an amazing tool like you just you come around to things when you start to play around with them you realize oh they have usefulness it's just being studious and and um paying attention to what you're doing you know yeah and through that you notice the trends that are unique to yourself yeah if you like have the time the capacity to do so because yeah taking being like, okay, I did my lactate test. I got my curve and this is, these are my numbers. Yeah. I need to be, this is zone X, X, Y. And, uh, and then trying to do that and then getting the first reading and it's, it's five when it should be three, like, well, heart rates in the zone, you know, yeah. that hasn't rapidly increased. It's still under 160. And then like my pace, my power, 
it's all these numbers all look totally fine i feel four out of ten like yeah. and effort wise so why should i'm i'm oh let's see what the next interval is rather than being like all right i'm yeah. putting it down like i'm really gonna have to button off or yeah, yeah. and uh so yeah it's uh it's tough that's good physiology so, i guess do you do you coach other um do you coach a lot of ultra marathoners yeah that would probably be my Your uh my main uh like client base at yeah. the moment so because i'm quite so active in the space um uh, it's just i don't know if you've found this it just follows yeah you like so yeah, when yeah. i was doing triathlon i had a lot of triathletes and then when i was in the high performance program uh working with the junior team anyway and now i'm like super present in ultra marathoners ultra marathons are doing that so yeah and i just so to help this like this whole thing that we talked about i've been working on this reignite your running course so i found it like uh obviously like you do coaching you you help people over different various sports and different like modalities and and ways of helping someone might be just wanting like a one-off thing to try to get periodization some people want ongoing help and it's all i found it quite hard to have them get the best product across the board of like oh yes but you could you, you could also do this and then also like working one-on-one -on -one with clients they they might leave after six months like yeah i want will and you know i need help for this ultra marathon we build up they don't actually leave with a with a lot you know like i teach them a lot during the way but they kind of offload the mental stress to me right um <laughs> yeah, yeah. like oh look mate can you, you're the genius like you're the guy who gets <laughs> people ready to nail their ultra do it yeah, for me yeah, yeah. um and so what i've but anyway so what i've created is this um reignite your running course so it's like a six-month course where for those that are interested i work with a group through the six months ago okay this is this is my this is my template you know this is what i do to get you ready and so like you're doing it yeah. so you're you're measuring measuring your heart rate right out there yeah. in the field and then I, then you come back and and you do it via the means that i do and then you have the spreadsheet right and you go and then you touch base with me again okay yeah. and then you go i did this and you hear what the other people did and it starts to create like you then are able to find that what i call like a runner's roadmap to your own success as opposed to like either offloading it yourself or just doing it out of a book like you yeah. start to and so then um because you know as you know when you work with someone you have all that knowledge behind you and then you're individualizing their plan yeah. but they don't know what things you're yeah, leaving yeah. out you know or why you have decided that their heart rate is you know they run hot or whatever yeah, yeah. like and so it's um so that's what yeah that's um what i've just just released doing the fun foundation round and i'm going to keep um kind of pushing that forward as my main like product from from here forth that you want to know something that's probably one of the most genius things i've ever heard like <laughs> i know people are like what do you mean it's a course but when you think about it like there's a huge drive right now for for example physiotherapy something i'm very interested in over the years 
And, you know, you have tons of these people in the kind of physical rehab, physical therapy, rehab, SNC kind of space that are mentoring people, right? They have these mentorship corks. And I'm like, I, I, I see the application here. But this, to me, it's like, how has someone not thought about this before? Maybe someone has, maybe some, someone else has something similar, whether it's a workshop or, but I've never actually heard of a six month, because that is a thing where it's like, when you're coaching someone, for example, you know how it is. You have an hour with that person. You don't yep. want to sit there and explain to them why, like you want to explain like somewhat why you're making the decision, your decision. But if you actually explain why you're making the decisions that you're making, it would take you five hours. You just don't have the time, right? You don't have the time to explain why you're making a decision. And sometimes that can lead to, you know, you have to do your best to kind of play that line where it's like, okay, explain it a little bit, but not too much. But if you don't do it well enough, they come back and be like, well, last time you said we were doing it this way for this. And why? Yeah. 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 yeah, And then it's like, when you go through a course that that's just the most genius form of mentorship and coaching there really is because, you know, the people that are going to sign up are going to be signing up because they want to learn how to do it themselves. Some people don't want it. You know, some people don't yeah, want to yeah. do that. And yeah, the so people that are going to sign up. Get coaching. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's brilliant, man. I think that's absolutely brilliant. That's such a, that's such a smart idea. Um, yeah. Um, that's genius. It's, I tell you why no one's done it. It is too much work. It's too, it's, it's a lot of work. Too much upfront work. Is it? Like, okay. you, you can't just talk, you know, you've got to give them all the resources and the yeah, yeah. the assets that they can. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited because I left so, my job at um in tertiary education, like at the university, to okay. like focus on on this for the next phase. So yeah. So it's called the uh, ignite running. Is that ignite your running? Re reignite your running. Reignite your running. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, and and it's you got you're working on the foundations portions right now, right? Yeah, so I've okay. had um, I've uh, so there's a wait list. Okay. So all right, yeah, I'll make sure I'll, put on, that I'll reach out to you, and yeah. uh, we can I can let you know when the next intakes coming in. Okay, that's super cool. Um, well, what what else out there do you do you want to let folks know about that that you're doing or where to find you and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, so I, I have my own podcast that I do with the guy I did my PhD with, um, Dr. Matt Miller. Uh, so that's the Performance Advantage podcast, just mm -hmm. wherever. Um, so we're, we're typically endurance-based sports, and we talk kind of practical training applications. Matt's into mountain biking, okay. so discuss a lot of a lot of that. Um, yeah, uh, so similar stuff to what we've talked about today. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just Instagram at Dr. Will O'Connor. Yeah. Those are the, the main ones. That's where I keep, you know, everything yeah. going. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll leave the links to the show notes and for that stuff, folks. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And uh, thanks, thanks to Will for coming on. And um, we'll catch you later.